I'm a football fan. Well, more than that, I'm an Ohio State Buckeyes fan. I have my wife, Angela, who's been married now for 10 years. And I have two daughters, Gracelyn and Ainsley. Gracelyn is five and just started kindergarten, and Ainsley is three. I started playing drums when I was in seventh grade. My senior superlative was that I had the most school spirit. I'm a husband and father. I'm a flooring salesman. I'm a sports fan, an Ohio State fan. I'm a drummer, but that's not what defines me. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Paul Mumo. I'm the lead pastor here at Genesis, and I hope that in our time of worship this morning, you really kind of picked up on a theme. And each of those songs, as we uh, sing about the uh, unfailing uh, love of God and His furious love for us, and it, how it is deep and how, how it's wide for us, and, and our good Father who, who loves us uh, for who we are and who we are in Jesus Christ. And, and then that last song, uh, just one of my favorites of you know how deep uh, the love of God is. And, and speaking of love, there were a a group of four to eight-year-olds who were asked uh, this question. Uh, they were asked the question, what does love mean? Like, could you give us a definition of what love means? And uh, I, I just thought this was kind of funny. Some of these were very profound, and uh, some of them are just plain funny. Again, four to eight-year-olds were asked the question, what is love? And here's how they responded. Uh, one said, you know, love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. Uh, another person was asked, uh, what's love? They responded, love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your French fries without making you give them any of, your, of theirs. So, uh, Another was asked, what's love? Uh, and they said, well, when you love somebody, your eyelashes go up and down and little stars come out of you. Uh, another was asked, what is love? Love is what makes you smile when you're tired. Uh, one one uh, young person responded, love is when my grandmother got arthritis. She couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore, and so grandpa does it for her all the time, even though he's got arthritis in his hands too. That's love. Uh, another was asked, what is love? They responded, love is when you tell someone something bad about yourself and you're scared they won't love you anymore, but then you get surprised because not only do they still love you, but they love you even more. Uh, one little person was asked, what's love? He responded, love is when mommy sees daddy smelly and sweaty and still says he's handsomer than Denzel Washington. <laughs> or how about this one? Love is when your puppy licks your face even after you've left them alone all day. Or uh, finally, love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and just listen. So uh, uh, some great responses to that what is love question. You know, when you think about that word love, we use the word love uh, pretty flippantly. Uh, I don't know if you realize that or not, just in our everyday conversations, like when you think about some of the things that you say, maybe say to someone else, maybe even here this morning, you know, something like, hey, I love your hair. Or, uh, you know, I, I love the Colts, you know, I, I love the Colts, or I love burritos, uh, or all in the same breath of I, I love my wife. I mean, is it really possible to love burritos and love your wife with the very same word? I mean, can each of these things all mean the same? Well, one of the things that we want to do today is we want to just talk about uh, something that we've already been singing about, uh, and that is the love of God and the love that He has for us and the difference that that can make uh, in your life uh, and in the way you live and in the way that you see yourself. Now, uh, if you're new to Genesis, if this is your first time with us,
us today or if you've been gone for a while, uh, we want you to know that we've been in a series here called Identity Crisis. And uh, what we're doing is we're walking through the New Testament book of Ephesians together uh, here on Sundays. And if you're in a connection group or a small group uh, like mine, we've been studying Ephesians together uh, every week. But one of the things that I hope you're doing is that uh, you're reading the book of Ephesians uh, along with us. In fact, uh, if you're not or if you got started and maybe already fallen off a bit, uh, I just want to challenge you uh, for the next four weeks of this series. Would you read Ephesians each week uh, for the next four weeks? Uh, You can read a chapter a day. It'll take you about five minutes a day to read, six days a week, uh, and you can get through the book of Ephesians and uh, uh, read through along with us. Let me just review uh, quickly with you just some of the things that we've talked about, a little bit about Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians is a letter, uh, sometimes referred to as an epistle, uh, written by the Apostle Paul to Christians who were living in the city of Ephesus and and around Ephesus. And uh, Paul had previously spent time with these people in Ephesus, and now he's in prison in Rome, and he's writing back to his friends in Ephesus uh, to remind them about who they are in Christ. Uh, to really reinforce this identity and this identity given to them uh, by Jesus. I mean, because uh, these Ephesians, these Christians in Ephesians ha- have trusted Jesus, their identity is in Christ. And um, what we said and what we said week one, uh, chapter one with this letter is that uh, Paul spends a lot of time in the beginning of this letter laying a foundation uh, for the people. In fact, uh, chapters one through three of this letter are all about uh, establishing Uh, their identity in Christ. You could say it's the who we are part uh, of Ephesians. Well, today uh, we're going to look at the last few verses of the who we are part uh, in Christ. And looking ahead to next week, we're going to get into chapter four, where Paul is going to shift direction and shift focus uh, to more of the how to live part. Uh, It's like he says, okay, now that you know who you are in Christ, here is how I want you to live uh, in Christ. Here's how we should live. And I just, I, I'm just fascinated, really, by how intentional uh, Paul is in this, that he realizes that before we can truly live out our faith in Jesus, we must first understand who we are in Jesus. And, uh, you know, that was the message of the uh, Chinese Christian watchman Ni. And he lived in, and China, he's remembered for his faith and leading a church movement in China, uh, lived from 1903 to 1972, and he's also known for some great books. And uh, one of those books is a book about Ephesians, a real small book, uh, a book entitled Sit, Walk, Stand. And, and what Ni nee says in his book is that before you and I, before we can live confidently in Jesus Christ, we have to first sit uh, in the work uh, of Jesus Christ. We have to sit in the work that he's accomplished for us. He's just basically saying that Christ Christianity is not about what you do, uh, but it's about what, or, or not about what you can accomplish, uh, but Christianity, the heart of Christianity is about what Christ has done uh, for you, that if you've trusted Jesus with your life, uh, your identity is found in Him, and so that means that your motivation for a living, uh, it comes from Him. And, uh, and what the Apostle Paul does, again, with the first three chapters of Ephesians, and what Watchman Nee describes so well is that before you and I, before we can truly live out our faith in Jesus, we must first sit in His promises. We have to allow the truth and the gospel to saturate our hearts Uh, in our life in such a way that there is no doubt about our identity and how it's found in Him. 
Well, as we finish up chapter 3 today, uh, we're going to read this prayer. Uh, There's a prayer right here in chapter 3 that Paul prayed uh, for these Christians in Ephesus, and a prayer that he's praying uh, for you and me. And I want to just interject right there. I mean, don't miss the fact that he's praying right in the middle of this letter. And I think, you know, just a simple reminder for us that, that we can stop and pray uh, whenever we want to pray too. I mean, whether that be in the middle of the day, uh, when you're at home, or when you're away at the office, or on the job, or uh, in a class. I mean, maybe it's on the, on the verge of a difficult conversation. Uh, or a difficult meeting. I mean, you can pray. I mean, you can, you can pray when you're driving. I don't recommend you do that with your eyes closed, all right? Let's keep those open uh, if you're driving. But, but the fact is that we can pray anytime. I mean, we have a Heavenly Father that listens to us, and He loves to respond. And uh, so let's do this. Let's just see this prayer that the Apostle Paul prays right at the end of Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, again, he's praying for his friends. He's praying for you and me. Let's pick it up in verse 14. Here's what Paul prays. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. He says, I pray out that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, there are a ton of things in there and a ton of words uh, that we could extract and look at together, but I want you to notice that word grasp right there in verse 18. I mean, that word grasp means to embrace. Uh, It means to attempt uh, to get your arms around, to get your mind uh, around it. I mean, what does Paul say that we're supposed to grasp? What are we supposed to attempt to hold on to? It's the truth of how God feels about you when he says how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ for you. You see, this isn't just a feel-good prayer, all right? I mean, Paul knows that before we can really live for Jesus, we must first be rooted and established in his love. I mean, we have to sit in these truths so that we can better understand his great love for us. Look at those words again in verse 17. He says, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp, begin to get your mind around how wide and long and how high and deep is the love of Christ. You know, it's easy to overlook a verse like that. And I mean, it's easy to fly through a verse like that. And I think that's why it's so important, just even the repetition of reading Ephesians and coming back to this verse over and over again. But, but even more so, I mean, even worse, it's easy, when you think about it, it's easy in life to underestimate the depths of God's love for us, uh, His love for you, you know, especially after a tough week or a tough weekend or a bad night, um, a bad interaction with somebody. You know, Paul carefully chooses his words here so that we just might catch a glimpse of the magnitude of his love for us and embrace this love, really, that can make a difference and make all the difference in the way that we live. And so let's do this. Let's just spend a few minutes together just considering how Paul describes this love of God and what it means uh, for you and me. But before we do that, I want to pray and just pray that God would open up our hearts to hear and to to accept this today. God, we pray, uh, even right now as we read, as we study, Lord, as we open our hearts to you, 
uh, that you would just continue to, to, to pour out your love uh, for us and an understanding of that love, uh, that it might change the way we see ourselves, the way that we see you, and the way that we live. Uh, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, let's look at just some different ways that Paul describes this love of God and, and again, his love for you and for me. The first thing is this, it's in your notes. We see that Christ's love is wide. Uh, Paul uses the word wide. Now, that means that his love uh, extends all across to, to all people all around the globe. Uh, it's available to anyone uh, to who's willing to accept that love. And that just means that, you know, even as you look at the book of Revelation, you know, and in the book of Revelation, how it reminds us that his love stretches across every tribe and every tongue and to every nation on the earth. I mean, it's why at Genesis... All right, when we talk about our mission is helping people find their way back to God, we think about not only our neighbors uh, right here in Hamilton County uh, and in this part of Indiana, uh, but we talk about what that means for our neighbors around the world, and it's why we partner uh, with ministries like Nehemiah Vision Ministries in Haiti. It's why we partner with ministries like Last Bell Ministries in, in the Ukraine, and why we partner with Frontiers Ministry and all their service in Central Asia uh, right now and other mission organizations around the country. But but it's also why we work hard uh, to make sure that everyone who comes across this church, uh, comes across you, comes across this building, experiences the love of Christ and, and feels welcome. I mean, if Christ loves all people uh, as his followers, well, then we're called, as a church, we're called uh, to love other people too. Uh, it's why Peter said it like this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, but who is he? Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance, uh, for everyone to experience that love. Now, what does that mean? Well, it just simply means this, that you've never met a person that Jesus didn't go to the cross for. Uh, it means that you've never uh, worked with a person that Christ didn't suffer for. Uh, you, you've never argued uh, or fought with someone else that, that he wasn't crazy about. You, you've never been cut off in traffic uh, by someone so difficult uh, that he didn't uh, give his life for. You've never been married to a person that Jesus didn't love. Uh, you've never been hurt by someone that was beyond his capacity uh, to forgive. In fact, you've never looked in the eye of a man or a woman, a boy or a girl who was too far out of reach uh, for the love of our Father. His love is wide, as Paul describes it. And, and when you understand that, I mean, it, it changes the way that you see people. It's going to change the way that you interact uh, with others. And, and when you begin to understand the significance of that love, not only for other people, but in your own life, what it does is it changes you. And, and it'll change the way that you live, and it'll change the way that you view yourself, and it'll change, maybe more importantly, the way that you see God. You see His love is wide. His love is wide, and it's wide for you. The second thing that we see is that Christ's love is long. Paul says his love is wide, his, his love is long, and, and when I see this word long, I, I like to view this as a measure uh, of time. First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 34 says, give thanks to the Lord, uh, for he is good, his love endures uh, forever. You know, and, and our understanding of his love is so important uh, because it shapes the way, the, the view uh, that we have of God, and so that means that when we stray or when we walk away or we rebel, I mean, if we don't have the right view of God, uh, we may not think that we have the right to come back or that we can even ever come back, and so we'll reason, we'll say things like, well, I know or I'm pretty sure that God isn't happy with me right now, but God's love is not like that. 
Uh, his love is long, and that means that it, his love endures, and it doesn't grow weak, and it really does. His love stands uh, the test of time. Uh, pastor and author John Piper, uh, in his book, The Pleasures of God, says it this way. He says, sometimes we joke uh, and say about marriage, the honeymoon is over. Uh, that's because we are finite. You know, we can't sustain a honeymoon level of intensity and affection. We can't foresee the irritations that come with long-term familiarity. We can't stay as fit and as handsome as we were then. We can't come up with enough new things to keep the relationship that fresh. But God says his joy over his people is like a bridegroom over a bride. He's talking about honeymoon intensity and honeymoon pleasures and honeymoon energy and excitement and enthusiasm and enjoyment. He's trying to get into our hearts what he means when he says he rejoices over us with all his heart. And add to this that with God, the honeymoon never ends. He is infinite in power and wisdom and creativity and love, and so he has no trouble sustaining a honeymoon level of intensity. He can foresee all the future quirks of our personality, and he has decided he will keep what's good for us and change what it isn't. He will always be as handsome as he ever was and will see to it that we get more and more beautiful to him forever so that there will be no boredom for the next trillion ages of millenniums. Isn't that cool? You know, and a reminder to us that even if our marriages are a raging success, that love still has an end. I mean, you pledged on your wedding day until death do us part, but God's love doesn't fail. His love is long, and, and the intensity of his love, it doesn't end, and it doesn't decrease for you. It's why Jeremiah was able to say in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3, uh, the last half of that verse, that for our Father, our God says that I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. He loves us with an everlasting love. The love of Christ is long. It doesn't end. And his love is long for you. Uh, the third thing that Paul says is that Christ's love for us, it is high. And that his love rises to the heights of our, of our celebrations and beyond. Now, speaking of heights, um, has anybody ever, anybody ever heard of the uh, sport urban climbing? Uh, anybody ever come across this before in an article or on YouTube or something? Well, uh, according to one article that I was reading this past week, the sport of urban climbing is exploding, and the current rock star of the sport is a guy that just simply goes by the name Mustang Wanted. And uh, he's a 20-something climber from the Ukraine, and he's got a whole bunch of videos out there, uh, videos like this one that kind of give us a glimpse of what he likes to do in his free time. Check this out. supposed to do this at home, right? Okay, I mean, we just, just so that we're clear, we've got this set, so. I can't even do one more in peace.
Don't, don't try this, remember? Oh, yeah. So anybody hands sweating right now? Yes, my hands are sweating. I'm, everybody just give you permission to just take a moment and uh, dry your hands off. You know, even, even if it's fake, I, I don't know. I mean, it's still, it's still pretty fascinating. But again, evidently, this guy, he climbed skyscrapers and cranes and antennas and just about any other high-flying object. Uh, he was asked this question in the article. When you're hanging from the side of a skyscraper or walking across a crane, what goes through your mind? You know, what, what types of things do you think about? And he, he said this. He says, well, I don't get scared during stunts. Usually it's a cheerful mood. Sometimes I just think about something else, about salad, my cat, or about anything. Salad, really? Like, that's it. That's the cure uh, for, for heights. But uh, there, there evidently is no height uh, too great uh, for him. And the thing is, too, that there is, uh, there is no height uh, that is too great uh, for the love of God and uh, the affection that he has for us. And Paul says that his love is wide and it is long and it is high. And that means that his love, it, it rises to and beyond the greatest heights that we know. It, it, it means that it's a strong love. Uh, his love for you is a strong love, a love beyond what we can compare. And, and it's important uh, to understand the kind of love that Paul's talking about here. And in the English language, you know, we have just one word for love, all right? That's why we flippantly use the word love. We've only got one word, but in the Greek uh, language, they had four words for love. There was the Greek word eros, which is where we get our word erotic, and it's a, a sexual love between a man and a woman. Uh, there's another love, a, a storge. It's an affectionate sort of love. It's the kind of love that a parent uh, has for their child. And then there's phileo, uh, which is a brotherly love, a friendship sort of love. It's where we get the word Philadelphia, you know, the city of brotherly love. And then finally, there's this word agape. Uh, and it means a selfless, sacrificial sort of love. And uh, for many, uh, you know, the agape love was the highest form of love that we read about in the Bible. And that's the word that Paul uses here in Ephesians 3. It's a perfect, unfailing, selfless, and sacrificial love. And here's why this is so important to understand. You see, my capacity, our capacity to love, I mean, it has limits. And our human love uh, and the relationships that we're in is influenced at least in part uh, by the one we love. And, well, the truth of, the, of it is is that some of us are just a little more lovable than others, right? I mean, we all know that. Maybe you're like that. I mean, we can't help that. Uh, but can we just admit that, that, that some people are very hard to love or uh, some people find it, it difficult to love or uh, maybe you don't know how to love or... And maybe in your life right now, you would say, you know, I don't feel loved at all. And so we have flaws uh, that affect our ability to love and to be loved. I mean, we're incapable of perfect love. But thankfully, uh, there is one person who is capable of perfect love, and that's Jesus Christ. And uh, I know the biggest mistake I make or the biggest mistakes that we make in regard to the love of Christ is when we project our ability or inabilities to love onto him. And so we'll say things like, I know that God loves me, but I don't think he loves me very much right now. Or I know that God loves me, but I'm pretty sure he's quite disappointed in me. Or uh, I, I know God loves me, but I'm pretty sure he doesn't want anything to do with me after what happened uh, last night or this past week. And, and that's not right. I mean, don't, don't think of his love that way. I mean, he loves you, and, and he loves you in a way that is beyond anything that you can imagine. Just, just hear some of these words uh, from different writers in the Scripture. In Psalm 147, 11, uh, we read that the Lord delights in those who fear Him, who put their hope in His unfailing love. Man, make that personal. You know, just realize that He delights 
in you. Uh, in Psalm 139, verse 17, we read, How precious are your thoughts about me, you know, your impressions of me, your hopes for me, your, your opinions of me. I mean, uh, the writer here says that they cannot be numbered. His, his thoughts are precious about you and about me. And, and the best evidence of the heights of God's love for us is in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, when we read, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, out of love, he sent his son, Jesus Christ. And, and Jesus, you know, he set aside all of the privileges of heaven and he came to this earth and he gave his life uh, as a perfect sacrifice. Uh, he died for you. And he, he died for me and he died uh, because he loves you, uh, because he loves us. You know, Arthur Burns is a, uh, was a Jewish economist uh, with great influence uh, in Washington uh, during the uh, tenure of several presidents, and he was once asked to pray uh, at a gathering of evangelical politicians, and uh, stunning his host, he prayed like this. He prayed, first of all, he said, Lord, I pray that the Jews would come to know Jesus Christ. And then he prayed, he said, Lord, I pray that the Buddhists would come to know Jesus Christ. And then he continued and he said, and I pray that Muslims would come to know Jesus Christ. And then maybe most stunning of all, he prayed, Lord, I pray that the Christians would come to know Jesus Christ too. You see, he prayed that Christians, that for people like you and me, that we wouldn't just simply look to Jesus as a model, but we would see him as our savior and as our friend and that we would experience his love in such a way that makes all of the difference for us and the way that we see ourselves and the way that we live. And it's just so important, Paul says, that we grasp this. Again, this isn't just an academic exercise. I mean, if we're going to live as Jesus called us to live, we must be rooted and established in the love of Christ. And so maybe just a simple exercise for you this week as you're spending your time each day alone with the Lord. You know, maybe what you do is you take a verse, maybe one of the verses that we've shared today. Uh, you take a verse like Psalm 147 or Psalm 139 or Romans 5, 8 or some verse, maybe even like this one that we're reading here in Ephesians. And, and instead of just memorizing it, what you do is you substitute your name for the pronoun. Uh, maybe just take that on as an exercise. And so you pray, you know, that the Lord delights. I would pray the Lord delights in Paul. He delights in me. Uh, or I, I would pray, you know, how, how precious are your thoughts about Paul? I, I just see that and experience that in a personal way. I mean, what would it mean for you to do something like that too? You know, those words, but God demonstrates his own love for me. He demonstrates his own love for Paul in this, that while Paul was still a sinner, Christ died. Christ died. See, his love is for you. His love is high. Number four, Christ's love is deep. It's not a surface level love. It's a deep love, and it's beyond. That just means it's beyond our actions. It extends uh, beyond our behavior. It reaches to the depths of your discouragement. It reaches to the depths of your despair uh, and even death. And, um, you know, for some people, love is a lot like a scorecard, right? I mean, you get points, you know, for the good things that you do. You get docked for points, you know, when you mess up. Marriages are like that sometimes. We keep score. I mean, you've got some probably people in your family or in your extended family that like to keep score, and so they'll keep score by, you know, scoring on how often you visit or how long you spent Thanksgiving at their house last year uh, compared to how long you'll spend this year. Anybody know anybody like that? You've got people around your family that do that sort of stuff. God doesn't keep a scorecard. He doesn't do that. He doesn't love like that. His love is a deep love. And one great example of this love took place in the upper room. I mean, Jesus was, was with his disciples. 
and it was the night before he was crucified. And as they ate this last meal, this Passover meal together, Jesus told them how he was going to be betrayed, and he pointed out that Judas would be the one to do it. Now, I'm guessing that it might have been an awkward meal uh, for some for that point forward, but still, in a show of love, that very same night, Jesus washed all of the disciples' feet, including the feet of Jesus. Um, later on that night, he demonstrated his love and power when he healed the soldier, the one who came to arrest him uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then the very next day, he went to the cross where he was beaten and mocked, and they spit on him. And in that moment and in those moments, what did he do? He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. You see, we see that his love is a deep, deep love. And when you think about it, you know, in every other religion on the planet, your final judgment is based on your performance. It's based on what you bring to the table, but only in Christianity and only through Jesus Christ do you get a judgment not based on your performance, but on God's performance. It's on what He has done, that He takes the judgment on Himself, that Christ took all of it on Himself. And if you're in Christ, you know, the the wonderful truth about that is that if you're in Christ, you're here today and you're innocent because of His great love for you. You've been given a a reprieve. You've been pardoned because His love is deep. And it's just no wonder that Paul, that the Apostle Paul could write that it's a love that surpasses all knowledge. That, that in other words, we, we can study and we can try and understand his love for the rest of our lives. But even in those t- attempts, you'll never quite get to the end or to the bottom of it because his love is so great. It's so wide and high and deep and, and long. You know, uh, Karl Barth uh, is a well-known, was a well-known theologian, a, a German man, German pastor, made famous uh, when he came out against Hitler uh, in World War II. And he toured the U.S. Uh, back in the 1960s. And one day, uh, a reporter came up to this world-famous theologian uh, and asked him during that tour what was the single most important theological discovery that he had ever made in his life. And after a really long pause and time to think about it, he responded, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. See, his love is wide, his love is long and high and deep, and there's one other aspect of Christ's love that we see in this passage, uh, but we need to go a couple of verses further uh, in Ephesians 3 here, starting in verse 20. Uh, Look at how Paul uh, wraps up this prayer. He says, now to him, that's to our Father, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Hey, number five in your notes is this, that Christ's love is powerful. There's power in that love. And it's just so important for us to understand this and to see this and to have this as our foundation. I mean, especially as Paul now is going to turn the corner uh, and direct us, beginning in chapter four, with how we should live uh, our lives for him. And he points out. You know, that we don't have the power to do this, to live uh, fully for God on our own, that we don't have the strength on our own because on our own, we're helpless. You know, on our own, we're we're sinful. I mean, we're sinful beings. As Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Christ's love is powerful in us. I mean, Christ's love changes the ball game. It gives us strength and it gives us what we need 
uh, so that we can live out our lives for him. And let me just tell you why this is important. Again, in the last three chapters of this letter now, in chapters 4, 5, and 6, God is going to use the words of the Apostle Paul and in this letter uh, to challenge us, uh, to challenge you and me to some pretty high standards uh, of living in this world. I mean, he's going to call us to do some things that are difficult, to do some things that would really be impossible for you and I to do on our own. And if you've been reading along with us, you've probably already come across some of these, and uh, maybe they've made you shudder or hesitate just a little bit. I mean, for example, ladies, he's going to challenge you in your marriage. As we read these words, he's going to challenge you in your marriage and how you serve and how you love your husband. And, and even in those times where you don't feel like your husband is worth loving or serving or submitting to, we're going to see that God has a challenge for us in this, that the Lord says to love your husband. Wives, love your husband and serve him and submit to him. And you may not think that you've got the power to do that on your own or that it's a little old-fashioned in 2014, but with the power of Christ living in you and his love changing you, you can do these things. Similarly, husbands, I mean, he's going to challenge you. He's going to challenge me uh, in how you love your wife and how you submit to her as, and to love your wife as Christ loved the church. I mean, even to the point of laying down your life for her. And that means that there's no exemption, uh, even when you feel like she's not very lovable, but loving your wife means laying down. It means laying down your life. It means laying down your lifestyle and maybe what you would perceive at least today as your priorities. It means not being selfish and uh, putting your wife's needs above your needs. And, and if you're like me, you can't do that on your own. You need the strength of God working in you. And with the power of Christ available and living in you, as you experience that love for your life, you can do these things. He's, he's going to challenge all of us uh, to not speak any unwholesome words, but only words that are useful uh, and for building each other up. And that's difficult. I mean, that means a zero tolerance for profanity and for cutting humor. But with the power of Christ again living in you, we can do these things. I mean, he's going to challenge you and me to forgive one another. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks and the power of that forgiveness that we experience and why we need to extend that same forgiveness to others and, and how we're not to have even a hint of sexual impurity in us and not to go to bed angry and for children to love and to honor your mother, mother and father and not to exasperate your children, parents. And you may think to yourself, you know what, I can't do these on my own, but as Paul describes for us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. See, Christ's love gives us the power to do the things that we're not able to do on our own. His love is wide and long and high and deep and powerful. And here's one more thing uh, before we close. Here's the key, Ephesians 3.20. Again, when Paul prays and he says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. And I think that's really the key. It's in that word, ask. Are we willing to ask for God to give us the strength and the power to do the things that he's called us to? You know, a lot of us, you know, we can't imagine, you know, maybe for you, you're here today and you can't imagine a better marriage or a better relationship or a better relationship with your kids. Maybe you're a parent or, or we'd wonder what it would be like to harness our tongue or to break the habit. And we know that we can't do those things on our own, but the challenge is that we're not willing to ask. What would it look like for you to pray those words today and just ask the Lord to give you the strength, to give you the courage? You know, when you're spending time alone with your Heavenly Father this week, to ask Him to show you, to allow you to experience His love for you and for your life. 
and to let that love be the love that guides you. And again, to say the words and to hear his words for you. Let's do that right now. Will you just kind of join me in prayer together? And um, as we pray, I just want to get you thinking, you know, is there one thing that you would love to ask the Lord to give you the strength to do this morning? Maybe you need to ask the Lord to give you strength for your marriage. Maybe you need to ask him to give you strength in a relationship right now. Uh, to give you the strength um, as you parent, you've got children. and Maybe you need to ask the Lord for strength and wisdom right now and right or wrong. You've got an issue uh, of integrity right now in your life. Maybe you need to ask him to give you the faith to keep going. Will you just kind of call out to Him right now? Maybe you're already doing that. And Lord, as we call out to You, I pray that You would hear us and You would respond to us, that we would know You're there. Maybe you're a Christian and you're here today and you need to experience the love of Christ again. And invite that love to change you and to bring you back as the Father brings you back to Himself. And maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you want to experience that love we've been talking about today, that love that God is pouring out in your life right now. And if that's you, just in your own words, just pray. Just ask God to extend His love to you to forgive you. God, we thank you for your love, and um, I pray that we would experience that love, and uh, it would change us, and change our church, and change the way that we live, and the way that we live for you. Uh, do great things in us and through us, as we keep opening up our lives and our hearts to you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.